doing the recording because I am infamous for forgetting to do so. Uh, so today what we want to look at is, you know, beyond exomes or, you know, looking at whole genome, whole exome and, and ways that we can do ultra fast, fast Q2, you know, VCF or interpretation. Um, I will mention some of the interpretation stuff that we do have available, but won't be jumping into those uh, for today's um, talk. Uh, legal disclaimer, it's always important for our lawyers that we're, we're looking at is today is, is really more for, um, you know, molecular biologist and, and not intended for diagnosis, prevention of disease, et cetera. And when we talk about Kyogen, you know, really our goal has uh, for a while now has really been able to offer, you know, sample to insight types of um, solutions where, you know, we have our, you know, chemistry side of uh, our organization making, you know, kits for doing prep work, et cetera, um, and doing our sequencing, um, you know, where, within any type of platform. And really what we're looking at today is the data analysis and interpretation of that whole sample to insight type of pipeline. And what we're gonna be doing is utilizing what we call a, a CLC genomics workbench to be doing this, where uh, you know, we're looking to you know, understand uh, sort of what's going on from a, uh, from a sort of variant uh, perspective um, and be able to you know, uh, improve uh, you know, decision-making and uh, insights into sort of the analysis. Uh, this is you know, when we talk about uh, Kyogen's digital insight. It's really a conglomeration of uh, five companies at this point in time, but you know, acquisitions had been done several years ago, but this is really an integration of Ingenuity uh, Pathway Analysis or Ingenuity, CLC Bio, BioBase, Omicsoft, and N of One content. And our goal with this pipeline is going to be to generate, you know, high quality, it could be actionable results from raw data, it could be to generate, um, you know, read mapping files and variants, so that way we can go and, you know, look at uh, sort of downstream processing, it could be, you know, generating a, a hereditary disorder panel, where, you know, you're providing information to your um, clinician as to, you know, what genes might be actually within uh, the panel that you're looking at, or again, if it's more in the research side of things, uh, goals could be just to, you know, generate uh, read mapping and variant files for many samples, and then do some comparisons of those samples post uh, analysis. When we talk about, you know, whole genome, whole exome types of sequencing, um, you know, we're seeing it more and more within like sort of the clinical space or even within research space. Um, and, and within the clinical space, there's actually a, a pretty, mm, meaningful turnaround time. So, you know, the ability to do this in a quick uh, manner is always going to be sort of, you know, useful for our customers um, and even, uh, if you will, the customer's customer, uh, where they're looking at, you know, how can we automate, you know, a system for diagnosing acute mm, malignant, uh, mm, uh, sorry, uh, management guidance for genetic diseases or, you know, a 26-hour system for highly sensitive whole genome sequencing. And so we can see that there's, you know, a need for something that's going to be able to answer or give answers to our customers very quickly. And so in order to do that, um, what we've, you know, featured within our <clears throat> germline analysis pipeline is ways of how can we accelerate this through our uh, genomics platform. You know, within that speed, how do we drive costs down? And that can be costs within your own hardware or if you can leverage something like AWS. Um, and when we, you know, make things fast and, you know, reduce cost, 
we sometimes lose quality. So we, of course, wanted to make sure that quality was, you know, going to be something that we could uh, verify and validate that, you know, we're getting the same answers, whether we're doing it in a quick manner or if we're doing it sort of in a slower, um, more traditional approach. And of course, when we talk about any scientific software, uh, the goal is to keep things as easy as possible. And so my goal today uh, within the application is gonna be to show you how easy it is to do this type of work. And of course, things like sustainability, accessibility, scalability, when we talk about, you know, um, you know, you might have a project where today you're, you're doing, um, you know, 10 to, you know, 50 samples where, you know, that project may grow to hundreds of samples, thousands of samples in the future. And so, you know, that ability to scale with you is always going to be something that's important. So really, how did we answer this sort of, you know, question or, you know, give these types of solutions to our customer? First and foremost was really the, the Kaigen CLC genomics platform. And I'll be going into more detail about that in my next couple slides um, where, you know, it's important just to understand what's within that platform. Um, for today's talk, we're really looking at a single pipeline or a single type of module within the genomics uh, platform. And that's specifically one called Lightspeed. Um, and Lightspeed is really our fast queue to VCF um, uh, pipeline or, or tools that really can accelerate that type of analysis. Um, and again, for today's purposes, probably uh, won't be going into our clinical insight um, type of solution. But uh, again, if there are questions that come up with regards to that, Araceli uh, is quite versed in answering them. But that's really more of a tool for uh, looking at what do those mu mutations mean? You know, are there you know any that might be actionable, et cetera, et cetera. And so if we're uh, <laughs> looking at the platform, so that's going to be our first place to start, right? So when we talk about the CLC Genomics uh, Workbench premium desktop software, it's really a solution that offers a variety of applications that it can support. Uh, we'll start from things like microbiome profiling. So within that premium desktop software, we do have algorithms and tools for doing a variety of different microbiome profiling from 16S whole shotgun metagenomics to, you know, single uh, typing uh, and epidemiology types of workflows, um, support for biomedical genomics. And that's really sort of uh, where Lightspeed will, will find itself in, in uh, the future as well uh, when we release, uh, you know, workflows for more somatic types of uh, solutions. Um, the workbench does traditional molecular biology, like cloning and PCR design or assay. Um, it has a the ability to support long reads, so that would be a PacBio, Oxford Nanopore, uh, tools for immune repertoire analysis, my uh, microbial genomics and isolate typing, uh, single cell analysis, RNA-seq and transcriptomics analysis, de novo assembly, uh, ChIP-seq and bisulfite sequencing or epigenomics, um, haplotype analysis, and what we're really focused on today is really just one component of this uh, platform which is the ultra-fast, fast Q to VCF um, processing. In addition, we'll be looking uh, in a moment, uh, in a couple of slides, just to at least uh, introduce the idea of scalability through either the genomic server or our cloud module, which I will also cover a little bit today, just because I think it's kind of useful in uh, you know, these uh, types of larger data sets, et cetera. <clears throat> So when we talk about the genomics workbench, again, lots of different tools that it can support. 
Um, I'm going to hopefully show you that it's going to be, it's a user, it's easy to use, it's user friendly. Um, there's a lot of ready to use or I want to say uh, template workflows that we can utilize for, you know, automating, automating your processing, uh, sharing with colleagues. Um, it's a modular design, so we can add plugins. So again, we're going to be utilizing that today, both for you know looking at the cloud uh, options that we have available, but also uh, Lightspeed itself being a plugin. We're going to look at how we can uh, add functionality to the tool uh, very easily. Uh, we do develop this under uh, quality standards, so ISO 9001-215 certificate certification. Sorry. Uh, it's cross-platform uh, agnostic when it talks about operating systems, so Windows, Mac, Linux. In addition, it also is important to think about that as it, it pertains to the reads as well, so Illumina, Ion Torrent, uh, Oxford Nanopore, PacBio, uh, BGI, MGI, and, and really any of the sort of reads that we're seeing coming out in the market today uh, as Illumina's patent has uh, kind of come to an end. Um, and again, things that I think are going to be important when we talk about whole exome or whole genome types of pro, uh, uh, analyses, you know, the ability to scale up just because if you have five to 10 of those, um, you know, again, you might want to have the ability to process them in a, uh, a faster manner. Uh, from a support perspective, we do have PhD level support, at, you know, 20 hours a day, five days a week. Um, and, you know, really a lot of uh, audit logs, user management, file uh, um uh, oh, sorry, uh, histories and, you know, a lot of output files that can be generated from the workbench. I kind of separate this visualization uh, and an interpretation, if you will, just because I think, you know, with any type of scientific software, the ability to generate, you know, graphics, pictures, images uh, is really, you know, important just because, again, that's sort of what we're going to be putting in our papers, our posters, uh, in our, you know, as a way to convey, you know, what's going on in our data and really highlight the differences maybe across samples or things along those lines. So just to kind of give you a high level, things like heat maps, uh, Venn diagram, sorry, uh, phylogenetic trees, bar charts for looking at like uh, organismal composition and microbial microbiome types of analysis, you know, principal component analysis from things like RNA-seq or microbiome work, Venn diagrams, uh, PCOA plot uh, from a microbiome in a 3D view, Read mapping. I mean, really, the, the obviously the I can't show every you know different uh, visualization that we can generate within the object. But uh, my goal here is really just to kind of convey the fact that you know we understand from this, the fact that you know scientific software really needs to be able to generate you know pictures uh, for publication and uh, poster purposes, if you will. Just you know, like the, from a background perspective, always like to just point out briefly, you know, the scale, how we can scale, how this solution could be scalable. Uh, namely, uh, you know, just to give you a bit of information about the server, uh, but today I did want to at least focus a little bit of uh, the analysis that I've done with uh, using the cloud component, just because, again, it does bring down the uh, time to result considerably uh, on, you know, when we talk about things like my laptop, if you will. So the genomic server, uh, genomic server is really for high sequencing volume. It's a high sequencing, high volume sequencing solution. Um, it does give us a couple of uh, uh, advantages over just the, the specific workbench that we're gonna be looking at today. Uh, so if we talk about uh, the genomic server, it centralizes your computing. So if you have like an HPC, 
uh, running, you know, some scheduler, we can leverage that centralized compute resource and, you know, launch jobs either within that HPC or push things to the cloud from the server. And what this does is centralizes your compute resource and your data as well. So all the data, you know, that the server's using is going to be sort of in a maybe an NFS background or GPFS file system. Um, and so all the end users have the ability to access data that they have permissions to within that system and leverage that uh, infrastructure for running jobs and things like that. And so what we'll be looking at today is really the client to the genomic server, um, but the genomic server also has a few other things that can be beneficial for organizations, things like it has a command line interface. And so if your goal is really to script or automate uh, your analysis, the genomic server really kind of offers that uh, type of ability where the workbench won't. The plugin structure is going to exist within the server environment. So what we look at today uh, with regards to plugins, I think will just, you know, uh, uh, work its way into the server environment as well. And then the last component that I always like to point out with the server is the ability to wrap external applications or uh, external application integration. Uh, we do have a lot of examples in our documentation. There's two sort of what I'll call standard uh, implementations where, you know, they're taking an algorithm that's, you know, installed on the server and wrapping it uh, using maybe Bash or something along those lines. Um, in addition, you can also leverage the external applications using dockerized images. Um, so if you wanted to wrap things like Pangolin or something along those lines, you know, you could leverage the external application tools uh, and wrap those uh, wrap any sort of Docker image or script that you want to and really prevent present that tool as a GUI for your end users. So this external application integration really just gives us a way of, you know, bringing in third party um, type of uh, tools and not only that, but making it a graphical user interface to that external tool. Again, that could be very beneficial if you, you know, have end users that aren't as familiar with things like command line interfaces and things like that. What I really wanted to focus a little bit on today is really um, uh, is really a little bit of the CLC uh, cloud module, and namely just because again I'm running a lot of the, my analysis like on my laptop, which you know many of us might do, uh, which I'll look about look at some of the times that it took for me to run whole exome data sets on my laptop. But generally speaking, you know, it may be beneficial to leverage AWS. And so, you know, when we talk about the cloud module. Really, this has all the functionality for submitting any CLC workflow to the CLC Genomics Cloud um, environment where you know it's running within EC2. Um, the functionality when we add this tool will also allow you to ret retrieve results from S3. Uh, so you know we can add the plugin and just have access to S3 and not some computation. Um, and it works through the uh, the Genomics Workbench and the Genomics Server software. Um, some benefits of incorporating the cloud into a server is just better audit trail, user management, authentication, et cetera. Um, there is uh, no, uh, Kaijin has no accounting over your AWS. So again, what I mean by that is it is your AWS account. Um, any sort of, you know, compute usage, things like that comes directly, you know, you would get a bill directly from Amazon. Uh, and we do not like sort of pass any charges along from, you know, the compute side. It really is just a, uh, a licensing fee. And then you can utilize, you know, as much as you would like to within AWS. Um, something that's really nice here, too, is that there's no idle cost. So if you're not running any jobs within AWS, 
it's not going to, you know, generate a bill just because there's some instance of, you know, uh, an application, you know, constantly running. This really does use what's called uh, Amazon Batch Batch um, tools, and by doing so, it does enable us to sort of totally bring down the system when not in use and lowers the, you know, costs considerably because it isn't running constantly. And in order to really get the uh, to get AWS or the CLC cloud module up and working um, is one. The first thing is that you need to have an AWS account with the relevant uh, resources configured. Um, and so, you, you know, you need to have access to AWS in, in, in a way that, it, you know, you're sort of you, you and or your organization can manage it. Um, you need to have uh, the CLC cloud module installed on your workbench and licensed. Um, and then a CLC workbench with configured uh, AWS connection. And so we'll look at that in just a, a couple moments of how do we gain access to this plugin once we put it into the application, you know, what type of information uh, do we need to utilize? And then not only that, but once we, you know, have it installed, um, you know, how do I use that within the, the, you know, how do I launch a workflow within um, AWS? So we'll kind of look at, you know, what does that plugin sort of do? Uh, again, I wanted to incorporate this just in front of the sort of light speed component uh, because I did leverage a lot of the cloud component and I thought it might just be beneficial to understand how it, how it, how easy it is to, you know, access this type of uh, functionality. So again, within the application, so here we're just looking at the genomics workbench. Um, just a quick lay of the land as we sort of look at this. Um, when we talk about the genomics workbench, let me get my uh, right. So uh, in the top toolbar up here, uh, these are things like our import export functionalities. Um, there's also this quick launch, and so really up top, up uh, the top left corner is where we're you know, have a lot of different actions within the application. Um, in addition, below this sort of uh, information, what we have is the navigation area. The navigation area is just gonna be where we're storing data. Uh, so you can see, for instance, like I have a folder here called Lightspeed. Uh, and so when I run my analysis, I'm going to tell it to save the data or results maybe in this folder. Um, and so again, it's just a flat file system here, folders within folders, files within folders, et cetera. Um, and really just gives us a way of organizing the data um, and, and be able to access the data pretty quickly. Below the tool or below the navigation area is the toolbox. And th this is where I tend to run tool, uh, run analyses, workflows, um, individual tools. Um, however, you know, I do have customers that utilize in the top if we're in, if we're clicked into the application, uh, we'll also see where there's a, a toolbox in the top tool uh, in the top bar as well. Um, and that will also enable us to, yeah, uh, it was uh, right. Anyway, um, and so we have our, our toolbox. And then uh, as I was mentioning, uh, there's other ways of accessing that toolbox as well, but this is where all the different applications will be. And then the last thing I'd like to point out uh, before we start doing a couple different things is really just the upper right-hand corner. Uh, a few components here that are gonna be relevant are things like you know the plugin manager. How do I add, augment the application? Um, the reference manager can also be beneficial uh, for some of our customers uh, as we get into sort of talking about light speed a little bit more. 
um, you know, the ability to utilize any reference or download any reference, uh, download a large variety of references from this manager can make life a lot easier. Um, in addition, things like workflows are also uh, available uh, to create through this upper uh, right hand corner. And then the last thing I'll actually I'll point out here is support. So if you need to contact support. Um, and so when, you know, if you have an error, an issue, something like that, that comes up within the application, you know, I just suggest clicking that support button. It gives us a lot of the information, uh, for the, you know, what you were doing in the application, you know, where the error came, uh, and generally this is just a better way for us to be able to help troubleshoot, um, as it's giving us the, you know, the underlying log files that allow us to sort of get into the application and understand what's going on. So as I was talking about, you know, first and foremost is really just adding that cloud module. Again, I wanted to just talk about how we can do that. Again, everything in the application that's uh, uh, that's a plugin can be accessed through this uh, plugin manager within the upper right hand corner. And so when we talk about, you know, adding plugins, we can click on this plugin manager. Uh, within the the plugin manager, there you'll notice there are two options. Here we can either manage plugins or we can download uh, plugins, and so you can imagine on my within my application, I've downloaded and installed many of these different plugins. And so what we can see is that really um, a lot of my plugins are all done through this manage side. But again, if we were to download a plugin, we would click on the download side. We would see that similar list or a list of uh, plugins that are available. Things that are commercially a commercial plugin will note that will have information that they are a commercial plugin and, and may re require an, a, a license to to utilize. For the downloading component, we just simply click that download uh, and install. It, there will, you, will usually be a, an end user agreement for that specific plugin, um, and we can just simply install that into the application. Now, when we install any plugins into the tool, we would just simply hit close. And when we tell it to close, it says that, well, in order for uh, this to take effect, that we need to restart the application. And so we can just simply say, okay, well, we'll restart that workbench. Um, and I'll just allow that to sort of, you know, restart itself. All right, and so once we've installed the um, AWS or the CLC cloud module, what we'll be able to do is come up into the top toolbar where it says connections and actually specify that we want to um, enter in some AWS connection information. And within this, we can edit or we can add a connection. Uh, I'm gonna click on the edit real quick just so we can uh, look at the information here. And so what we have is just the cloud connection name. Uh, you can call it whatever you want, either in the connection name and in the description. The information that we're going to need is the AWS access key, your AWS secret access key. Um, and then we would just specify that information. Uh, important to make sure that it's in the right region. And so if you're specifying like a, you know, say I said it was in Virginia or uh, East Coast, um, it would end up throwing an error because this cloud module is installed within the EU central region, just because that's where um, my sort of system admin folk uh, reside. 
And so we're just going to specify this type of information. Um, I'm going to hit cancel right now just because I deleted this access key just so it wasn't on my screen the whole time. Uh, so we can hit cancel. And when what we will see is if you just have, uh, if you do not have a license for um, to run jobs in AWS, you will just see this S3 uh, have a green checkbox or green uh, green light, if you will. Uh, if you do have a license for the GC, uh, the CGC, then we'll also see a green light here. And so um, the reason why we can see two options is that with this cloud plugin, um, if you do not have a license to run the analysis on the cloud, you can still use S3 as a data storage location. And so what we can see is once we've you know authenticated to our um, AWS account, I will have remote files that are available. And these remote files are the S3 buckets that are defined based on the information in my AWS connection. So the cloud module can be used whether, you know, if you just have data stored in S3, it will give you a way of being able to access that data or to sort store data into S3, you know, once the analysis has completed. If it's a licensed um, sort of cloud module, uh, once it's installed, when you go to any workflow, uh, you will be given an option of where you want to run it. Um, and most customers will, you know, who have ever run the workbench before, uh, probably never noticed that uh, whenever they've started their analysis, uh, it always started on step two, because step one is always where do you want it to run. If you do not have an AWS connection or a server connection, it would just simply omit this step and it would only allow you to run things on the workbench. But again, I have connections to things like servers. So we, we talked about the genomic server, which would be more like on-prem hardware. And so we could you know, access a CLC genomic server if I had logged into one. But as I was mentioning today, what I really was talking about, uh, and I think is quite useful in this space, uh, is really just talking about the CLC cloud module. And so for launching jobs within the cloud, we can just simply, where it says, choose where to run, select uh, within the cloud. And not only can we select where it runs, um, but we do have the ability to sort of select the instance type, um, you know, small, medium, and large. Um, these are configurable within the sort of module itself, but we can see for like small, it's 16 CPUs and, you know, I'll call it 32 gigs of RAM with 100 uh, gigs of local disk space. So you get a quick little balloon tip that pops up. And so if we had changed any of this, you know, to medium or large, again, we would get information about, you know, what the configuration is for that instance uh, pretty quickly just by hovering over the, uh, the instance size, if you will. And as I mentioned, we can um, change those within the configuration files if we want to, you know, add a, a I almost said a flavor. If you want to add a different version, like a, at one point in time, I made a, an extra large uh, queue, which was spinning up instances with, you know, more RAM and more CPU for some of the larger, you know, kind of crazier projects that I was working on at the time. So again, just wanted to talk about, you know, how do we connect to the cloud or how can we access some of these, you know, um, scalable solutions? And again, a lot of it is just simply done through, you know, the connection, uh, well, to the cloud, uh, downloading the plugin, going into the connections and configuring that type of information. Um, and of course, I think, you know, not only seeing it in my, as a demo, but also, you know, I, again, everyone's going to have access to my slides after today's talk. And so just to understand that when we talk about the cloud module, you know, we would simply click on plugins. 
you can see here I am in the download section and I had I had uninstalled my cloud module. Uh, and so now you can see that it gives me the ability to download and install. And once you've installed it, as I had mentioned, we're going to close this. And when you close it, you're always going to be asked, do you want to restart the workbench? If you say no, you'll be like, well, why can't I access the cloud? Well, because nothing that you add, um, none of the plugins come into effect until after the application is restarted. I would point out here as well, um, when we install uh, plugins or add plugins to an existing workbench, you will need to be logged in as like an admin account or as the user who you know installed the workbench and owns the files. Um, generally speaking, you know the application is installed within the program files and operating systems really don't want everybody changing those. So it does require admin privileges in order to install these plugins. If you see, if you are not able to install the plugins and it's there's an issue, uh, what you would see is down here in the, the lower toolbar, it would say that you do not have sufficient privileges to install the plugins. Um, and so just keep in mind, if you are not running this as an admin, you may see an issue or a warning down here that doesn't enable you to install those plugins. So again, plugins, download, we install the plugin that we want. And once it's installed, it get, that we need. Hmm. Okay. PowerPoint's being funny. Okay. And so as I was saying, um, you know, once we've installed that plugin, we can go up here to connections. We were talking about today about AWS connection. Um, again, we would normally add one. Um, and when we click on the add connections, it would just want to know information about that, um, that AWS connection. Uh, again, really the key components here is that AWS access key and the AWS secret access key. Um, so that way we know who's uh, you, your sort of system admin user will know, you know, who's sort of authenticating to their uh, to your AWS instance um, when running those uh, types of jobs. And then, you know, last but not least, you know, once we've installed and logged into the AWS environment, uh, if you do not have a license for the cloud module, you will still be able to install the cloud plugin and gain access to your S3 results so we can access your S3 buckets. Um, but again, when you have a cloud module license, uh, you would be able to run any you know, workflow that's available and within step one, choose where you want to run it. And as I had mentioned, also the instance type that you want to leverage uh, for uh, that analysis as well. <clears throat> I'm going to introduce Lightspeed a little bit and then uh, just give a quick break for you know any specific questions. Let me at least give a, a quick introduction to it. And then before we start looking at how to, to run it or whatnot, we just kind of pause for a quick Q&A. Um, so when we talk about Lightspeed, really it is a fast queue to VCF um, you know, tool or algorithm. Um, and so when we when we look at this, um, you know, Lightspeed module, a uh, couple of the you know requirements or 
you know, things that we were sort of trying to put together when, when you know, looking at Lightspeed itself was we wanted something that was CPU uh, based only, right? So it didn't require any, you know, special hardware like GPUs or anything along those lines. Um, it also would make it platform agnostic in whether it be Linux, Windows, or Mac. Um, you know, the the idea of just using CPUs just makes it, you know, a little bit more uh, user friendly in that sense. Um, when we're developing algorithms, our goal is always to, you know, make things memory efficient, um, fast as well. Um, we see it as a way of sort of reducing, you know, compute costs, but also, um, you know, if we're giving you results uh, faster, it's going to give you um, the ability to publish quicker or uh, get information to your um, clinician, uh, information to, you know, other colleagues in, in a faster manner. Um, in that same, you know, realm, you know, it needs to be, you know, thorough benchmarking needs to be utilized, like things like the genome in a bottle data set. Um, it needs to be reproducible, so we don't want to downsample whole genome or whole exome samples, because then again, it makes it a little less uh, reproducible. Um, and again, energy efficient, so if we talk about things that are memory uh, fast and memory efficient, that's going to make it go hand in hand with, you know, using less sort of, in, you know, resources from a, an environmental point of view. Um, and so just you know, we had a couple of people that were doing some different beta testing, you know, from a small sequencing lab, you know, all the way up to like really large sequencing, um, you know, labs or diagnostics groups. Um, and so, you know, really they were able, you know, the small lab was able, able to do like whole exome or whole genome, you know, on their, you know, small computer, if you will. Um, and we'll look at some of the benchmarking and even how long it took my laptop to do something. Um, and in addition, you know, one of the other companies that we work with on a more diagnostic -y type of, you know, realm, uh, they were, you know, expecting this type of workflow to be like a four to six hour turnaround time. Um, but we were really able to sort of drive that down to, into the more like 20 to 30 minute rather than, you know, several hours for, you know, going from uh, FASTQ to VCF for these types of data sets. Again, just kind of, uh, you know, benchmarking. Uh, so this is, you know, from marketing, uh, looking at some of the benchmarks that, you know, we had done uh, internally just to give everyone a sense of, well, how long things take. And of course, you know, we'll look at, you know, some of this in, in real life as well. Um, but again, when we talk about light speed, I, I think it's still important to remember that it is CPU based only. Um, and so if we're looking at like 35X or uh, 30X uh, across the human genome, you know, you can see that the read mapping uh, and, you know, to VCF calling is only taking, you know, we'll say less than 25 minutes, whereas a lot of the sort of other competitors that we see in this space uh, oftentimes require specific hardware. Um, and we'll say very similar times when utilizing that uh, accelerated hardware. Um, just from a cost perspective, though, you know, when we only use CPUs within, you know, things like AWS or even your local hardware, if you're only leveraging, you know, CPUs, that cost of that physical box or hardware is much less. Um, and we can also see that, you know, reflected in, you know, what would be the cost of running, you know, light speed, you know, on of the, for the whole human genome, you know, within AWS. And you can see, you know, anywhere between, I'll, I want to say, I'll call it 50 cents to a dollar, you know, from, you know, CPU time. Uh, again, if you talk about utilizing things like GPUs or whatnot, there's a premium for those types of instances within AWS. Uh, and because of that, you'll see like a, an increase in cost just due to the same thing. And, you know, to break it down a little bit, you know, uh, a little bit further, if you will, 
right? So we talked about the cloud. We can understand, okay, well, it's great. It runs quick on the cloud. Uh, oftentimes you can have a, a larger computer at your fingertips if leveraging um, AWS. Uh, but we also obviously did this in, you know, with local hardware as well. Um, so, you know, things like a workstation, so a powerful, you know, desktop computer, or even your laptop for, you know, doing, you know, whole genome uh, alignments. Uh, I would like to point out that, you know, the, even just the fact of being able to do a whole exome or whole genome alignment on a laptop, I think is pretty impressive. And even still it taking, you know, we'll say an hour and a half or so to run, um, isn't really that uh, crazy for the volume of data that you're looking at uh, sort of analyzing here. In a similar sense, you know, if we're looking at whole exome sequencing, again, large data sets, um, you know, anywhere between, you know, from a runtime perspective, you know, if we look at uh, different uh, data sets within um, the whole exome space, you know, anywhere between, uh, the data I had was a little more than a minute, but it, you know it wasn't much. But a, you know, so we can look at different data sets like from Kaiseek or you know other whole exome platforms. Um, and I'll, I'll say that you know you're looking at a, a couple minutes, if you will, for you know the read mapping uh, to VCF. Uh, again, very you know cost effective when we talk about you know AWS. Um, but in addition to that, you know when we you know look at it locally, it would also be you know, reduction in cost just because it takes less time to, to do the analysis. So beyond just looking at times, because it's great that it can do things quickly, but, you know, if you do things quickly but poorly, um, it doesn't really add, afford you any benefit. And so obviously we're going to go back through um, and not only look at our times, but also, you know, um, the variants that are being called and whether or not they are, um, how sensitive uh, the, the the algorithm may be, or uh, and so what we can see here from you know different types of data that we were uh, that we processed, um, we can see HG100, uh, HG sorry HG001 and HG002 uh, with a variety of different sort of coverage, um, different reference genomes, and we can see really from a um, mapping point of view and you know recall if you will for different variants you know we're definitely above the 99 percent um we can see you know obviously with the you know or close to 99 percent if you will um when we start looking at some of the other uh reference genomes like if we took at look at the the last two here where you know other difficult regions are removed or uh regions where there's low mappability are reduced uh, we can see here that, you know, your indel and uh, SNP scores, you know, uh, are you know, very accurate in comparison to, you know, other ways of, of doing this analysis. What tends to not be comparable uh, is going to be the runtimes that we see here. Um, so if we talk about, you know, how long does it normally take to do, uh, you know, different types of analysis, um, we can see here, you know, our runtimes varying from anywhere from 84 minutes to, you know, maybe 22 minutes. Um, and this is, you know, running on uh, either a local laptop, which is much faster than mine is, <laughs> or, you know, an HPC environment where they had 20 different nodes. Each node had 20 CPUs, virtual CPUs, and 64 gigs of RAM. Um, and we can see, you know, again, you know, time, the number of samples as well. Um, in the overall uh, amount of time for the uh, the runtime for for generating all the results for that. Um, so we should be able to see that you know 
as we scale up um, for things like the server environment, uh, we can see, you know, even with large volumes of samples, like 96, uh, 960 samples um, at 100x coverage, uh, we can still see that all 100 uh, in this environment took about five hours and 25 minutes. So again, our goal here really driving down the uh, amount of time uh, that it does take to do the, the analysis. And I kind of laughed at this at first because it was it took me a second to sort of understand what he was meaning by this. But, you know, a customer of ours kind of referred to it as being a little bit like cheaper than free. Um, and his real kind of takeaway was, you know, if I'm using open source tools within the cloud and it takes me twice or three times as long to get to the answer, I'm effectively paying more uh, than I would if I had just bought the license for something that would, you know, had done the analysis in a, a lot less time just because I'm paying more in AWS fees. So again, you know, we can, can look at sort of the cost in several different ways, whether it be, you know, a licensing fee or, you know, AWS uh, types of costs as well. Uh, we should see ways of being able to drive this, uh, drive your cost for doing whole genome or whole exome down significantly. Before we kind of get into, you know, running the tool, installing the plugins, anything along those lines, you know, here might be a good time just to, you know, maybe take a, a brief pause, uh, maybe answer anything from a platform perspective, if you will, uh, any like general workbench questions, server or, you know, architecture types of questions. Um, I could potentially, you know, I'd be happy to answer at this point in time. Um, if there was anything that had come in, uh, let me just see if there's any uh, that would be beneficial for me to answer live. Okay. Yeah. So uh, nothing that uh, no questions that I don't that I, I would want to jump on. Uh, there is a question about a tutorial today, and, and of course, yeah, that's. We're getting to that, um, you know, just going to jump into the application in, in just a moment and, and kind of walk through, you know, how to install the plugin, because, again, it is a plugin that that this tool comes from uh, what you get when you install that plugin. And then, of course, you know, running the analysis. Uh, Aracel, any other questions that maybe came up that I didn't address? Um, so one question that I think would be useful is, um, so as you're using the CLC workbench, uh, where can a user go to get help if they're having questions or if they um, have a need, um, if you want to reach out to us uh, with any feedback? Sure, sure. And, I, you know, a, a perfect place to do that uh, would be in this upper right-hand corner. Um, like I pointed out when we were going over the um, user interface, this gives us a way of, you know, contacting support. So when you click on that, just want to put in your, your email address um, subject and really in the message to support. I'm a big fan of, you know, what was your expectation and what did you observe? So that way, you know, it kind of lines up to give us a way of understanding, you know, when you read a, the name of a tool or, you know, you heard of a process that we could support, you know, and it was different than your expectation. It's, it's good for us to know if there's like a verbiage or vernacular, you know, terminology that we're using, uh, uh, interchangeably with something that maybe uh, maybe we should change so okay mm -hmm. um in addition i mean i guess you could also click here under help uh go to contact uh support from here as well uh i'll also point out 
since we're talking about help, there's a link to online tutorials. Um, and so this is a wealth of, of uh, different types of tutorials with for the application from you know what I'll call traditional molecular biology like blast search, right, to more NGS focused like you know bisulfite sequencing or you know read mapping types of uh, uh, tutorials, uh, expression analysis, uh, biomedical types of uh, workflows or um, tutorials, excuse me. Um, and then also things like for microbial genomics, et cetera. So uh, when we talk about, you know, getting help, uh, besides just getting help from support, uh, there's a lot of access uh, right from within the workbench to get uh, things like I said, tutorials, um, contacting support and things like that as well. And so I don't think there's any um, other questions if you wanted to just continue on. Perfect, sounds good. So uh, a couple things that, uh, again, we talked about briefly about, you know, where everything was in the workbench, but again, the Lightspeed module is a plugin. So I'm going to reiterate plugins just really quickly. So if we wanted to gain access to the Lightspeed module, so again, we would need to click on the plugins. You would want to go to your download plugins and everything that's sort of CLC, um, like our, our specific plugins, like CLC Lightspeed module, uh, the cloud module, all have that sort of CLC in front of it, and they're in alphabetical order. So we would simply go to the CLC Lightspeed module. Um, and we can just simply hit download and install. That's going to download that plugin. We simply accept the end user agreement and simply close that. And once more, it'll just say, hey, do we want to restart that workbench? And because I want to you know, be able to access not only the, the workflow or the algorithm, but also the workflows that are provided, uh, I'm going to want to um, install that plugin and restart the workbench. And when we restart the uh, workbench after installing a plugin, uh, I'll call it, I'll say it's slightly different than the cloud module because when we install like a, a plugin that is bringing in algorithms, we'll notice that there usually is things within the template workflows. And so uh, specifically, you can see there's like light speed workflows, um, and they vary from FASTQ to annotated germlines, FASTQ to annotated germline variants with coverage analysis, and FASTQ to CNV control. Uh, so just a couple of different workflows, but all based on the light speed algorithm. Um, and so again, we provide workflows, but not only are the workflows available, but you know, light speed itself is an individual tool, and it's found within the toolbox under the folder light speed. So when we install a plugin or, you know, when plugins are installed, oftentimes there'll be mm, workflows and individual tools that are installed. And so we will see them in sort of both places, if you will. All right. Um, and so first and foremost, I always like to start with you know, individual tool. And so if we talk about the light speed fast Q to germline variants, it's actually pretty easy to run. Uh, we'll say if we're running it locally on my my um, my laptop, I would want to know where my fast Q files are. And so this, let me just get out of here. Uh, and so in this case, what we can see is that on my desktop here, I have a folder here called light speed. 
And within it, you can see I have two different data sets, a Kaiaseq exome NextSeq and a Kaiaseq exome NovaSeq. Um, and so it's just two different whole exome uh, protocols uh, on two different sequencing platforms. Uh, the file format that we'll note here is uh, fastq.gz. Uh, and so what we're looking for, and as you can tell that I keep saying fastq to VCF. And so really we just need them in a fastq format or fastq zipped format someplace that I have access to from, from my computer. Uh, in addition, we want to have some reference genome. And so from a reference management component, uh, we can easily go into the upper right-hand corner where it says references. We can use this download uh, genomes, which is really just a way of downloading a variety of different references from things like cow to human to horse to mouse or we can utilize the chiagen sets and you know say for instance i'm doing whole exome uh sequencing and the you know i might want to make sure that i have um the appropriate uh files for you know my target regions or anything like that that might be irrelevant and again if i'm talking about chiaseq data i'd be able to access all of those references right through this chiagen sets um, and we can see, you know, it varies for like single cell data or HG19 with RefSeq annotations. And so this reference manager just gives us ways of being able to download reference genomes uh, very quickly um, and or, you know, creating custom sets based on, you know, specific sequences or annotations that we want to incorporate. And of course, I'm mapping my reads to a reference. And so I would want to download, you know, uh, a, at least a version of, the, the human genome. Uh, in this case, you can see here, there's a, like a check mark next to the sequence for HG38 no alt analysis set. And so this sequence is already downloaded in my navigation area so I can utilize it for mapping to. Again, there's no restriction. It just is diploid organisms. And so again, I'm gonna be using human, uh, but again, it could be any diploid uh, reference genome that you would want to utilize. And from an execution point of view, we can just simply double click on the tool. As I mentioned, pretty easy to, to run an analysis because it's going to walk you through it in a wizard uh, from within a sort of a GUI or a wizard driven. You'll notice it says, well, where do you want to run it? Uh, if I was running everything locally, and I'll, I'll start there uh, first, we just simply say I'm running it on the workbench. I would browse the files that I have. And so I'm gonna to go to my file system and I had already pointed out the files that we wanna look at, right? We're within my Lightspeed desktop, Lightspeed. And we can see here, we have our NextSeq. And if we wanted to, we could add our NovaSeq as well. So. I'm bringing in two data sets at a time, right? I don't want to, um, how, for lack of a better word, I don't want to cross-contaminate them, right? I'm not trying to map all four of these at once to a reference genome, but really I want to take this sample, I'll call it 12878, uh, 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 sorry, uh, the NextSeq uh, data and the NovaSeq data, and I want to make sure that I marry the appropriate paired data correctly. And so we can just simply define our input. We can down or point to the reference genome. And here you'll notice I'm using that Homo sapien HD38 no alt analysis set. 
And again, we downloaded that through the reference manager. So it's going to find itself in my references folder. It's homo sapien. It's a sequence. And you can see here, I have a couple different sequences within that folder, but I'll just select what version of the reference genome I want. Any diploid organism would be an acceptable reference genome. And simply just say, okay. Right. You can exclude regions. Um, when I was doing sort of my benchmarking or testing of this on my laptop or um, in the cloud, I didn't do any reference masking. So I left that sort of default. Um, in addition, I, I did leave the quality trimming, adapter trimming, mapping read handling, like remove duplicate mapped reads, uh, doing a realigned mapping of the end, uh, sorry, realigned mapped reads. Um, and then, you know, looking at only calling variants within my target regions for the whole exome. I, I did it with or without the target regions here and didn't really see a significant difference in, in the overall time to, to, to result, if you will. I'm going to point out, because I hadn't yet, and this is another place you can get information, is in the lower left-hand corner of any wizard, there'll be a help. And so if you click on that help, you can get information for you know each uh, step, uh, for description of each step. You can click here, um, and then it's just going to give you, you know, detailed information about any of the different steps um, and also methods that are being used for, say, trimming or read mapping or duplicate read removal. And so we try to get you information very quickly just through that help menu uh, by clicking on the help button in the lower left-hand corner of his any wizard. Now, the next, when we click next, we can choose how do we want to handle results. Um, and there's a couple things that I'll point out here is definitely when we looked at the benchmarking, uh, one thing that they didn't do was create a read mapping track, which would, if you, you will, is like a genome browser view. Uh, so again, I'll look at, uh, I'll give you sort of times that it took with and without that sort of uh, create read tracks, and we'll look at sort of the results uh, both way as well. Um, but, and, you know, sort of first go around, I'll leave it without checking that box, and then we can just simply say that we want to save those results. And when doing so, it just says, well, where do we want to save it? Um, and we can just select a folder. Right. And so we can click finish. And now that you know goes and takes and runs the analysis uh, again on my local system. So using my laptop to run the analysis. Um, and just to give you a sense of time. To run this locally. We can see here that, you know, I started it. Um, May 4th, I did an updated version uh, real quick. Uh, so we started at May 4th at like 10 in the morning uh, and it finished May 4th at like 11 in the morning, right? Roughly an hour to complete state going from read mapping. And in this case, I'm sorry, uh, I also ran uh, the workflow for annotating those germline variants. So we can see here that um, actually, you know, it was about 51 minutes. So the last nine or 10 minutes uh, were really the annotation uh, components of of the, the workflow. Um, so on my laptop, which was pretty rinky dink at this point in time, uh, this is an old MacBook Pro i7 with 16 gigs of RAM, right? And so it, with 16 gigs of RAM, I was able to take and do a read mapping and variant calling 
of you know a whole exome data set um, where we're able to you know look at and inspect the uh, results uh, in a genome browser view where we'll have our reference genome, our genes, um, CDS, and then amino acid track and variants that were called for that uh, given data set. In addition, you'll notice it's just taking a little bit of time, but it's also opening up a table of all of the mutations that were called within this data set. So I can easily navigate the uh, list of mutations down below uh, and navigate where they exist within the read mapping uh, or pileups of reads in the uh, view above. So when we talk about opening things like a genome browser view from this workflow uh, or from the analysis, it really does give us the ability to, um, you know, look at the variants that were called and, you know, where those, those fall within um, the reference genome, for instance. So again, really from, uh, you know, running it on my laptop, you know, roughly, you know, about an hour. Um, and that was, you know, the whole workflow, including, uh, um, including the, the annotation component, which I'll cover in just one moment as well. So we can see for, you know, the ability to take and um, map, you know, I think it was, um, uh, I think there were about five and a half gigs worth of data. Um, again, I was able to map on my pretty reasonable, you know, pretty meager, if you will, uh, laptop in about an hour, uh, an hour or so, which kind of lines up to what we saw in uh, the documentation, where I think it was in the, you know, roughly uh, maybe 54 minutes. I think it was a little bit, might have been a little faster, a little slower, uh, briefly than, than what we saw in my, my analysis. So again, that's just running the individual tool, which when, when we run only that individual tool, uh, we end up with just our list of amino acids, um, our amino acid and our list of variants that were called. When we look at this, um, Um, so when we look at, uh, the, the analysis locally, like I said, roughly, you know, taking about an hour, um, in addition, you know, when we talked about, you know, bringing in light speed, not only do we end up with the individual tool, but as I mentioned, you know, several workflows that were available, um, generally, you know, I'll just, we'll, we'll say pick the lowest hanging fruit. We'll just look at the FASTQ, uh, to annotated, uh, germline variants. And all of these workflows, we can actually open a copy of. And so if we look at uh, the copy of that workflow, uh, we can see what is actually going on, where our um, reads are being mapped using light speed. Once they're mapped, the variant track is actually going through sort of an annotation process for overlapping information. So what genes, uh, it annotates with repeat and hormone polymer information. Uh, amino acid changes are, um, added to the table, and then we can see things like annotate with exon number, remove information from variants. And so some of this uh, additional um, columns that we don't want to incorporate, we can have filtered uh, before it exports uh, or saves a filtered list of, you know, variants. Um, and so when we talk about, you know, running jobs as a workflow, 
Um, again, very similar. We can, you know, come down to the template workflows. In this case, we're talking about FASTQ to annotated uh, germline variants. And when we double click on this, again, where do you want to run it? In this time, I'm going to show you, you know, if we were to run this within the cloud module, very similar. We're going to select, however, though, the cloud as to where we're going to run it. Uh, just wants to know what references to utilize. And now what we will do is when we go to the browse, we're actually browsing in information from the S3 bucket. And once again, I'm bringing in those same FASTQ files for each of my NextSeq and my NovaSeq samples and pushing all four over into the right-hand side. At this point in time, I'm also going to just check batch because I do want the software to sort of analyze each one of those separately from each other. Um, and so again, we'll utilize this batch function um, and any of the locked parameters like you know, masking, uh, trimming parameters, uh, how we want to handle non-specific matches. So all of the parameters that we saw from the individual tool, some of them are actually locked down in this uh, workflow. And so by default, you wouldn't be able to change those parameters. And so here we can just see, uh, because I have it in batch mode, it's showing me, well, how would this data be analyzed? And we can see the units here are NextSeq and NovaSeq. And within each of those, there's two different sets of reads that belong to each of those samples. And so last but not least, it just says, well, results uh, destination in S3. And so here we would just say, well, where do we want to save this? And I'll just call it wherever we are. Um, And click finish. And so now this is going to submit, you know, two jobs, if you will, to the A AWS environment. Um, and so everything's, you know, we'll say everything's running at once, uh, albeit, you know, this will be running within the cloud. And the job for the read mapping and variant calling that's 31% will uh, still remain running uh, within my local environment. Any questions at this point in time? I always think it's fun just to see um, sort of the the results as they they sort of get generated. Um, but in addition, uh, we will look at some of the uh, additional outputs because, as I had mentioned, I ran jobs on the cloud where I did not uh, output the um, the read mapping file, and so when we didn't output the read mapping file. Uh, and I ran this whole workflow for FASTQ to annotate a gene, uh, germline variants. We can see, for instance, you know, it always starts at zero, um, and light speed was over at three minutes and four seconds, um, but really it kind of started at like 33 seconds. So anywho, what we can see, for instance, is, you know, again, about two and a half minutes or so uh, to take and map uh, all of those reads to the, the genome, and then, you know, another five minutes or so to do the annotation. Uh, of a roughly, I think it's 300,000 um, variants that were called in that data set. And so this is without a, um, without uh, generating the read mapping file, we'll say it took three minutes in order to, you know, generate the output. Uh, when we actually generate the read mapping or quote unquote BAM file, if you will, 
Um, again, looking at the log file, I this time I didn't do the whole workflow. I just told it to do uh, the read mapping. We can see it took, I'm going to call it five minutes. Um, and so there is an increase in time when we're generating that, that BAM file or that read mapping file to be saved. Um, but it does give us the ability to have um, a, another layer of information when looking at the variance, i.e. the uh, pileups under each uh, e the pileups underneath those uh, different positions. Um, and so when we talk about the you know track list here that's generated when I run the analysis with uh, exporting with saving the read mapping file, um, what we'll note is that we end up with a table of mutations that is linked to the genome browser view up top. Um, and so we can utilize it to navigate the read mapping. So just for instance, you can click anywhere in this table, it'll bring you directly to that position. And so it's a, you know, a nice feature, if you will, uh, to be able to you know, quickly find and visualize the different mutations across your samples. And again, I mean, we can see, for instance, you know, this taking, you know, all of, you know, eight, eight or so minutes to run uh, within uh, my uh, workbench, or sorry, within the cloud environment. So, Sean, there's a question in the yeah. Q&A box uh, regarding um, downloading a GNA. Yeah, that's something that I'll address at the very end because it has nothing to do with what we're talking about right okay. now. Yep. Yeah, I thought um, I'll, I'll kind of I, I have a feeling I'm going to have a few extra minutes at the end. Um, and so I'll definitely uh, answer sort of that type of question and, and where you can get, you know, information about that as well. But let me just sort of make sure I covered everything I was looking to do. So bear with me just one second. Right. So uh, again, just kind of keeping myself, um, making sure I covered everything I was looking to do. Uh, again, Lightspeed being a plugin, we needed to just make sure we talked about plugins. I know I already uh, brought it up, and so I won't spend much time uh, on this slide. Um, but once we've installed those plugins, uh, slightly different than that cloud, we do end up with, as I had mentioned, template workflows and a tool. So if you think, and I hopefully you picked up on the fact of, you know, when we looked at our benchmarking, it was really looking at just running this individual tool for Lightspeed, which is the fast key to germline variants. When we run that individual tool, uh, what we need to point to are fast queue files that are outside of the application. So again, they're not being imported into our tool. We are pointing to X, uh, we'll call external fast queue files. Um, and then we just need to simply point to a uh, reference file that we had brought into the application. Once we've defined the reads, the reference, we can click next, which allows us to sort of set the analysis settings for trimming, uh, either quality or adapter trimming, and then how to handle, um, you know, mapped reads, like remove duplicately rip mapped or realign mapped reads. And then of course, the ability to restrict uh, variants to, you know, only, uh, specific coding or target regions. Uh, and so that might be something that you uh, would want to be able to do is just say, hey, I only want variants that fall within, you know, my ROIs or something along those lines. Uh, again, just from a, a time perspective of running the analysis, you know, without the uh, read mapping, 
uh, we can see here it was uh, just the uh, light speed, so fast Q to variant, uh, it took about three minutes. Um, and um, in addition to, you know, that, uh, uh, well, so when we run the uh, tool, our output is going to be a list of germline variants, uh, some amino acid uh, information. And when we click on the genome browser view, it does open them all together where we can, you know, inspect the mutations that are called, where any of the uh, table, where we can click on anywhere in the table, and it will bring me directly to that position up above, uh, which it makes, you know, inspecting mutations and things like that that are called much easier. Um, in addition to the individual tools, as I had also mentioned, there are certain workflows that are incorporated. Uh, we simply right-clicked right on that workflow and said, open a copy of. And so we can actually visualize, manipulate, you know, the workflow as we see fit. Um, if we wanted to change reference files or uh, add additional information or additional steps, we could modify this copied uh, workflow um, and, and sort of manipulate it how we see fit. And from like an overall uh, analysis time for that specific workflow when leveraging AWS, you know, it took me about eight minutes. Uh, to do the, the um, read mapping, variant calling, and annotating those with uh, overlapping information. And as I had also mentioned, um, you know, we can choose to output the read mapping. Uh, the read mapping gives us a little bit of a little extra information. Uh, let's say we were exploring variants that were called. Um, we can actually click on that table and not only see the amino acids that uh, the amino yeah, the amino acid change, uh, we can actually go in and look at the read pile up uh, where we can see, for instance, the reads at this position. Uh, there's a lot of T's that were introduced. Um, and so it's just highlighting that um, uh, highlighting the bases at that position um, and shows me that the there's a, you know, a, a, a C to T uh, mutation at that position. And in fact, it's 100% T for this data set. Um, and I can see that because I only have one mutation at 16298. And in addition, you know, at that position, there is only one allele, which is T, a T and not a C and a T that like in the sequence logo. And from a read from the running this analysis to generate this read mapping, uh, it added, I'm going to say, almost two minutes to the overall analysis. It was a, a minute and 49 seconds. Uh, so in order to you know, generate that read mapping file, uh, you will increase the overall time to the result. Uh, you may find it very useful uh, to produce it for every sample, or you know, if you have some trouble, troublesome samples, you may want to simply generate a read mapping, uh, sorry, the read mapping file for that specific sample. And then as I had shown in my, uh, in the application as well, uh, you know, using my little, my old uh, Mac uh, laptop, you know, it took me an hour to run that whole, that whole, that whole pipeline for uh, light speed and annotation uh, of those germline variants. Now, before I jump into the ontology file, uh, some things that I think are important to just kind of point out um, that obviously what we talked about are all based on germline pipelines. This was released in January of this year. Um, somatic uh, pipelines are planned for Q3. And in fact, very early in Q3, I was told August type of timeframe. 
Uh, and so I would expect that those are probably being uh, starting the validation testing process in the not too distant future. This supports any short read, you know, paradigm sequencing platform as a, such as Illumina, MGI, Element, Biosciences, PacBio, um, uh, Oxford Nanopore, et cetera. Um, there's also in the roadmap uh, support for RNA-seq. Uh, that's probably going to be more of a uh, January 24 uh, um, release, if you will. Um, but again, it is something that we're, you know, looking at incorporating uh, in the, I'll call it near future uh, from a software development point of view. Besides the gene ontology, are there any other questions there, Sally, that have kind of popped up? Um, not at the moment. It seems like all of the questions uh, that the attendees had have been answered. Perfect. So if you guys have any other questions, please go ahead and use the Q&A box and we'd be happy to answer them live. Um, so when we talk about uh, like utilizing the like gene ontology files, uh, what those are generally going to be utilized for are within the RNA-seq component, where we look at uh, gene set test. And easiest thing to do here would be really if we look at the help button, um, we can see there's a couple different um, ontology formats that could be you know utilized, and so. That's why there's a format. And then of course, if you go to um, you know, Gene Ontology's website, you can download their, uh, their gene association files or their uh, GOA files. Um, I believe the link is here as well. Let's just see if there's a nice link. Uh, so from a gene ontology format, uh, this is the um, gen oh, so this is the link to download uh, from um, sort of geo, if you will, gene ontology's website. Uh, when you go to their website, you'll notice like you know different genomes that you could you know select from. Um, and so you would want to you know select their file, download it. Right, and then uh, import it into the application. Let me uh, just have to unzip it first, I believe. Mm -hmm. So uh, once it's uh, unzipped, uh, we should be able to go right here to the import, um, standard import, add files, um, and then I'll go to downloads. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> 
And what we'll do, I'll stop the it running locally just so it can, you know, focus on importing this uh, file. Um, but uh, I mean, really to get to the gene ontology files, you know, again, there's a, a, a link under help for gene set tests. I clicked on help. I went to gene uh, generic ontology files and you can see, see the list of available files. And went to this website. Um, if it doesn't import uh, correctly the first time, uh, you'll notice that you can also choose the force import as type gene ontology annotation file uh, from the drop down menu. And if it doesn't import right, uh, we can easily uh, force it to do so. Uh, that would be just simply under standard import, again, pointing to that uh, file, except for saying force, and we're force importing it as gene ontolo annotation, gene ontology annotation file. Wow. Sorry. <laughs> That's a mouthful for me, at least today. Right. And so we can just simply, you know, tell it to, to force import as the, uh, the file format that we're looking for. Um, it's just a, a larger file, so it does take a bit of time, uh, but that's how we would go about importing those files. Um, I I guess if that did not answer your question, could you just put something, a follow-up in the Q&A? Um, and I'm just kind of taking a look at the Q&A and just seeing if there's any other additional questions that had, uh, anyone, had, uh, anyone has. Um, again, it may not even be relevant for what we discussed today. Happy to sort of, you know, go into any other, um, any other types of questions or anything like that. Oh, uh, question about like, you know, there, if the reference manager could do that. And I mean, so we do use some gene ontology um, files, um, but the reference manager is not going to, it's only going to have it for like human, right? Um, and so if your goal is really just having, you know, humans version of gene ontology, um, you know, that's, that's fine. And, and you can easily download them through the reference manager. Uh, but if you're looking at any of the uh, being able to import any file from the uh, sort of geo, then the, uh, the, the method that I had showed you previously would be the way of going about it. Again, I'll kind of leave, uh, leave everything open for the next uh, you know, a couple minutes or so to answer any any types of questions that you have for you know any of uh, the Kyogen uh, bioinformatics types of softwares. Um, happy to you know potentially address any questions that you guys might have for anything at this point in time. Um, otherwise, you know, I do appreciate everyone's time and attention. Uh, hopefully, it was a, a good use of your you know good use of time to to see that the, uh, we can potentially offer a solution that. Uh, might reduce a lot of your uh, wait time for, say, read mapping and things like that.
So I've just launched a poll just to get some feedback um, in terms of how you felt today's uh, session was, whether you know we covered anything that was useful to you. So if you guys can just take a moment to fill that poll, that would be great. And in the meantime, Sean, uh, for those of um, the attendees that are new to CLC, is there um, a way that they can access tutorial information to get more information on how to use the tools within CLC? For sure. So. Um... We'll go back up to the help like we were before and, and we went to the um, online tutorials, right? And this is where we can go through basic tutorials like introduction to like things like Blast Search or uh, breaks it down into things like NGS, which we'll say the NGS component's a little bit more of like resequencing, byte sulfide sequencing. And then there's actually a specific expression analysis section of the tutorials. Um, and then even sort of more, I'll call it biomedical where you're looking at like tumor normal pairs or something along those lines. So um, again, that easiest way to get to those tutorials, again, is just clicking on help and going to online tutorials. Thanks, Sean. Of course. All right. Well, I don't see any questions coming in. I'll hang out for a couple more minutes. Um, but again, you know, if anything comes up in, you know, uh, after today's session, uh, you can, of course, contact support from within the application or, you know, reach out to your uh, sales or FAS and, you know, try to get uh, additional information.